change. And we learned all of that from basically uh, the TV show Emergency. I mean, everyone, it was, a, it was a prerequisite that if you were going to a fire station or an EMS house or in the day it was a rescue squad, that you would study the scenes of emergency so that you could pick up on the ins and outs, glass, bottle, IVs. That's true. There were no preceptors. Johnny and Roy precepted us. That's right. Yeah. That's true. And if, if, if you don't know who Johnny and Roy are, um, you're actually required to listen to every episode of this podcast three times and then submit a written research paper on who Johnny and Roy actually are. Welcome to the Firehouse Logbook Podcast. I'm your host, Robbie Dawson, and uh, this is what, what would you call it, a world premiere, uh, inaugural, or the prequel event? What would you guys call it? I like world premiere. World premiere. First. First. There you go. First one. Number, I, episode one. And we're going to go in order, I think, and not do a Star Wars thing with a prequel and start with episode 96 and then work our way back somehow. Not that we know of. There we go. But uh, for this introductory ap- episode, I'm talking today with three longtime friends and fire service brothers uh, who I've worked with in several different capacities over the years. And I'll go in kind of the order of the, the, the order in which I met them over the years and start off with uh, John Crosby, retired lieutenant, TSO, uh, from Chesterfield Fire and EMS. Hi, John. How are you today, Robbie? I'm well. Uh, it, as we go through everybody, let's talk a little bit about yourself so folks know who, who you are and where you come from. Um, like I said, retired from Chesterfield. We met in Lakeside. We did. Um, I started in Lakeside Rescue Squad in 73, uh, became ALS there in 75, and then went to the fire department in 78. Went to Chesterfield, right? Yes, sir. Cool. And then spent how many years there? Uh, about 30. 30 years. I, I call that a career. I would think that's a career. Uh, spent some time in all a lot of different stations. Your favorite was uh, Ettrick, I'm sure. Edrick wasn't bad, it just was slow. By three in the afternoon, you were looking for stuff to do. Uh, most of my career, the longest period was at Company 14. And I was on engine, truck, and a helicopter, all three there. I got you. And that's uh, where I got the pleasure of working for you. And we were friends before and worked for you for a while. And I got in trouble a time or two. And we're still friends. So uh, glad to have that time and working with you on MedFlight while we were there. Well, thank you. And uh, next up is Henry Rosenbaum. We also met at Lakeside, if I'm not mistaken. We did, Robbie, yes. Currently assistant chief in Henrico, right? Mm-hmm. Correct. In the fire marshal's office, you're the evil guy that makes them all do stuff for, that makes, it, makes businesses uh, cost money. Make everybody safe. Yeah. Yes. You got started in high school, too, weren't you? Were you in high school when we yeah. got together? Yeah, I was in high school and uh, took an EMT class at Lakeside. Um, started in 1980 and actually took the EMT test in March of 1981. And if you remember back in time, unfortunately, that was the same day that I took my test was the same day that President Reagan was shot. So March of 81 was EMT and then have moved on since then. And started with Henrico Fire in 1984, the year right after graduating high school. And uh, still employed with Henrico and just uh, finished 36 years in October. Wow. And um, last but not least, uh, Wheat Baldwin, still still actively run calls in, in Hanover as a volunteer at uh, 
at the Henry Station, is that right? That's right, yeah. Station 6. But uh, got your start in Hanover many years ago uh, as a volunteer as well, right? Uh, Ashland? Rode with Ashland Rescue in the early 80s. Um, from there, went to uh, King's Dominion, spent some time there in the public safety office, uh, and then moved into the fire marshal's office in Hanover. And then I think as we talked uh, previously, you know, one of our big common threads is that we all came through MCV. Um, you know, we all had the med flight link, and we've all worked together you know, over the years, instructing and learning and acting out a little bit. Uh, no, we never acted out. And that, I guess that is a real common theme between us. John and I were assigned there at some point. Um, Henry and Wheat both came on as volunteers once we had the Long Ranger and were able to fly a number of missions with us and um, even one in the middle of 95 in the middle of the night. We, we, we can talk about that one day. I'm sure we'll bring that up. Remember it well. Where the uh, state trooper uh, had to go over in the woods for a minute because he didn't like what he had for dinner or something. Maybe anyway, that's a whole other story. But uh, uh, I'm going to talk about a bunch of stuff, really, about how this podcast became about and how how we got to or how I came up with this idea of the logbook podcast. Um, and we'll talk about a, a bunch of different stuff, not nearly real detail because this is kind of introductory and to what we might be doing here. Uh, but what we don't want to talk about is Henry and I's time as roommates in Treehouse Apartments. We cannot talk about that. The The only story I'll say is you wore one of a Chesterfield T-shirt to a Henrico fire station to be on duty one day. I did. And it yeah, was mine uh, by chance. Yep. And I uh, had a captain at the station that was reading the paper and said, hey, look, there's a, a gentleman that worked for Coke and wore a Pepsi shirt in, and he just got fired. <laughs> And uh, that, that resonated with me. So I didn't wear anybody else's T-shirts to, uh, to Henrico Firehouses anymore. Check the logo before you go on yes. duty. It so was blue. It was blue, yes. Yeah, so we can't talk about uh, Treehouse Apartments. Uh, we, we're not going to talk anything about uh, events that did or did not happen at Saunders Hill. You're, toga? Uh, no, not that. No, no togas. Okay. And, uh, John, we may or may not have, a, have anything in common that might have happened at the house on Newburn when, uh, when you lived in Lakeside. So... Our history goes back a long ways, not only with the fire service, but as friends. And uh, I appreciate you guys being here and helping me out with this. Newburn's in Texas, right? I think a lot happened a in lot. Texas. I think I was in Texas at the time when that yes. happened, too. Yep. Yep. So, um, you know, I kind of want to start. I'm a fan of looking at quotes and historic people. And uh, you know, they may make a phrase or something. And they, a lot of people older, maybe older, but certainly more wiser than me that come up with just little phrases. And I think this quote really kind of pulls together what I, I think this podcast can be. And the quote is, older and wiser voices can help you find the right, right path if you're only willing to listen. Anybody got a clue where that came from? Jimmy Buffett? There's a Jimmy Buffett quote or lyric for every possible scenario and you're right jimmy buffett the singer the songwriter the novelist and and i think philosopher as well came up with that quote and um really that's kind of what this podcast is about and with the people i'd like to talk to over the however long we can make this thing run but uh the idea was really to make this podcast about the culture and the traditions and the legacies and legends of uh, emergency services and it's really a sad state of affairs, but we're losing some of those long-tenured members of organizations and the fire service from across the central Virginia area, the state of Virginia, and across the country uh, day in and day out. And uh, they're taking a lot of those stories and history with them. And I, I want to hopefully capture some of that, 
share that with some of the, the newer members and people who just want to relive some of the old times that they had. And, um, and, and Robbie, it, it's interesting you, you mentioned that because, you know, just this past weekend we lost a, a, a retiree um, o over the past weekend. And you're right, there, there's a lot of history that those folks have. Um, there's a lot of good memories that they've done, um, not only as a friend and a co-firefighter, um, but also to the to the public and who we serve out there ultimately. And uh, it, it's going to be nice to have this archived in a, in a way that people can go in the future and, uh, and, and actually hear it firsthand from the folks that we uh, plan to bring to this table and, and uh, have these conversations with you. Yeah, and, and um, you know, Dave Creasy is another uh, longtime member of the fire service, worked in Chesterfield for years, worked in Richmond, worked in Chesterfield, worked back in Richmond, and uh, he contracted cancer a few years ago. And he's he's got some great stories because he was a fire marshal for a while in Chesterfield before I got the job, and I was always tap into him for, hey, you know, 20 years ago, how did this happen? And what was the thought process? And that helped me do my job better. Uh, obviously now uh, not going to have that opportunity to speak with him, but um, uh, he did write a book, but again, it doesn't give us quite the rich mm -hmm. understanding of what he went through in writing that book and, um, you know, kind of learning from his experience. So you're exactly right. Henry right. brings up a really good point, though, about the people that we need to bring to this table because the really quality people are not ones that are going to go out and tell their story. But if you ask them, you'll find out all aspects of their life and their career and their experiences, but they're not the ones that run around the station and boast about where they were or what they did. So I think bringing them to the table and asking them, tell us about your experiences, tell us about those that particular call or incident or time frame, and that's where we're really going to get some good information from. Yeah, and that's, um, that's really where I, I guess the thought of this came from. And Henry and I were at dinner uh, several weeks ago, and, um, uh, you know, I was kind of thinking about how, you know, what, what could I do a podcast on that would be interesting that people would actually want to listen to or be curious about. And uh, Henry was relaying a, a conversation um, about uh, a, a legend in Henrico, if you will, and um, a trip that you guys took to a fire station, R.C. Dawson. And that, that very scenario, we, he, he didn't go by there on purpose or to do anything or to share a story, but popped in and somebody started asking questions and the rest is history. Tell us about that. Right. Yeah, so R.C. Dawson, or many people know him as Tiny, uh, was with me one afternoon and I said, hey, have you seen the new uh, uh, hazmat apparatus that's at Station 21 now? And he said Mo he had not seen it. So, so let's take a, uh, a, a trip by there and let's visit the station if you don't mind. And uh, went in there, and the shift was there. And uh, actually, they all came into the day room and sat down. And you know, many of the people there did not know who RC was or Chief Dawson. And uh, after, after the introduction, you know, RC just really sort of opened up and sort of talk, talking about how the hazmat team, not only in Henrico, started, but really in the region. And uh, after one particular incident that occurred up in Hanover, and I think we, you were on that incident. I was. And um, so R.C. sort of told the, the history, and it was, uh, it was fantastic. It, had I only gotten a recorder out then and recorded it, but because um, it was gone, the only the, the nine people that were at the table heard it firsthand. Um, but I know he's one of the folks that is uh, willing to come and sit and talk with us and share that story and some life experiences and, um, you know, sort of archive that, that point in history. And uh, so, yeah, I think that's what you're referring to, Robbie, yep. is just that, that kind of concept, and it's um, – 
there's many people out there, as we said, that um, if we go and reach out to them, they'll, they'll be happy to sit down and talk with us, but they're not going to come kn- knocking on our door, so yeah. to speak, and they won't write a book. Very, True. very humble folks that um, don't like bragging, but it's a little bit of bragging, but even more than that, it's passing on the traditions and the culture and how we got to where we are today. So, and you're exactly right, and when you started talking about how you almost hold, held court there at the station with people just learning about the Pentaborian incident from mm-hmm. Hanover and the fact that probably most of that crew ha- wasn't even alive or certainly wasn't in the fire service in the 82? 82. When that happened, you know, it's it was kind of eye-opening. And you even mentioned that people had heard about that a- incident but never really got that in-depth knowledge. And uh, you're right, uh, RC is going to be one of the first guests on this, this uh, podcast and hopefully going to talk about that incident even more because – what they did with the hazmat team in Enrico and made that a regional resource and a regional response asset has kind of evolved into what today is a lot more of the regional cooperations from technical rescue teams to incident management teams and, and the like. So certainly a, a, a set a great foundation for us as we came through our careers and everybody else who's coming in after. Right. So have you come up with a name for this podcast, Robbie? Yep. The, uh, I kind of went with the, the Firehouse Logbook podcast. And um, uh, at least when I was coming up, that logbook was always something that was pretty consistent within the firehouse. It was a touchstone, if you will, and a place where you could go back and get information over the last couple of days of the shifts that you were off or away from the station. And it, it recorded the history of a sh- the shifts before. And you know, formally at shift change, the offgoing shift would read their day after they kind of packed up, you know, the oncoming shift would sit down and look at the previous shift that was on duty and kind of go through the logbook and say, here's what happened and here are the calls they ran and here's the what happened with the apparatus or if the station needed repairs or, um, or, or if one of the chief officers came in the station and, you know, all of a sudden this chief, you know, deputy chief so-and-so is coming in and lieutenant such-and-such is meeting with firefighter so-and-so. You knew that wasn't always good, so the gossiping firefighters would kind of start filling in the blanks. Oh, I heard he did so-and-so the day before, and they, he's in trouble. And so so the logbook was always kind of that touchstone that went around it. And so kind of thought, uh, you know, let's call this the firehouse logbook because it's not – it's about documenting that history and the, the, the culture and the legacies and legends of the department. So uh, are, are they still out there today? Henry, you mentioned that – the. You've gone away from the hard copy book? Mm-hmm. As we knew it, it was the hard uh, green. Most of them are green. Right. Green kind hard. Journal. Journal, yes. And um, we don't see those floating around the firehouses as we used to, as we're not using them. Um, everything's gone computer. Uh, so there's we refer to ours as the day log, a day sheet and day log. Um, so it's still recording the same type of information. In some cases, it's probably recording more because there's some data and stuff that we could pull off of it. But um, it's still there historically. It's just not at your fingertips. It's not like having the pictures laying around the station that you can pick up. Now, the, the flip side is somebody at another station can pick up something and read it off of the computer versus having to physically be there. But, now there's a lot of history in those log books as we knew it, um, uh, the hard copy of the, the, the day logs and the log books. It's just a different sensation, I think, you know, the digital format versus the older format, which were the pictures and was the logbook. And when you read a logbook about a significant incident, you felt like maybe you were there or that you picked up something from Mm -hmm. the urgency of the way they wrote it or the the, not to get into HIPAA, but the patient's condition or what you were dispatched for or what the outcome was. And 
now you read it on a computer screen and it's almost as if it was just another aspect of your social media life mm-hmm. versus um, really hanging on to them, which brings up a great point, Henry, because photos are something that are kind of a dying art that aren't there anymore. But to have that photo book or that album of the station or the occurrences that took place, and people grab that, they, you can see them, it kind of transports them back to something that was more real, I think. It's interesting you talk about photos in the station that we had, uh, folks like the Rob Tankers taking and things like that. They, they don't deal with that, but on the other side of it now, everybody in the world is videoing them when they go out on calls. And I'm somewhat glad that I didn't do firefighting in the air when everything was videoed out on a call. Mm-hmm. We probably got away with a little more than we would today. Well, that and things taken out of context, a, a two-minute snippet doesn't necessarily show everything that's going on. Just a snapshot of time. Mm-hmm. Right. The other thing you'd find in the firehouse, I remember Scott LaFoon, when he was um, at the station, he had a, uh, a book of all the news articles of significant events that took place. And as it showed up in the news, would clip those articles and stick it in, in, in his book. And so it was his own personal logbook, if you personal, will. Yes. Wow. And, uh, and everybody loves to see a picture or an article about themselves or a, an event that they went on. And mm-hmm. so I think you'll find out people dust off things out of their closet or their office. You're going to find albums and snippets and things that are really important mm-hmm. bring back a lot of great memories yes and I, th- and I think too it's you know i think we mentioned that you don't get that same kind of feel and uh when i was looking around for was there this firehouse logbook podcast and and how people are really using fire logbooks these days i found a um a blog post out of south florida on a website called hook and irons and uh it was written back in 2012 and this uh this blog hoster um i believe he's a company officer in south florida um, made a comment that uh, his department was going away and it was kind of this very impersonal email to everybody that said hey as of tomorrow we're going away from the old green log books and it's going to be electronic now and uh, he he wrote up a nice really neat article about it and in his closing i'm just going to quote this because I, I can't put it any better it says quote so this blog isn't about blasting technology. It is, it's more a warning to consider the things you leave behind in the name of efficiency. What was lost today? Today, I lost that moment in the morning when I sit with my coffee and write the names of each member of my company. That moment where I sit and consider the strengths and weaknesses and how I'll use them in different situations. Sure, I will still do this. I'll just have to find another way. And for me, writing those names was a reminder to myself, a contract that I am beholden to, to that states I'm responsible for the safety of each firefighter in my station. There isn't a blinking screen in the world that can provide that same feeling, end quote. And I think it's just kind of a, kind of a heartfelt, you know, that's what that meant to that company officer when he was writing his names in, I'm, ta- I'm here to take care of this crew, so... A diff- little bit of an interesting perspective from that person back in 2012, and you know, I might try to reach out to him as well and say, "Hey, how's it how's it been over the last eight nine years since uh, since that's changed?" and see if he's still there. Hmm. Um, some of the other, I mean, somebody mentioned historical stuff. There's a couple other blogs out there. Uh, departments called them occurrence books. Um, it's um, you know 112 years of history and tradition in one department. Um, and uh, one of the guys m- makes notes, it's, uh, it's kind of cool to peruse the old watch books once in a while and read up on the history. And this guy posted a couple of notes from some of his uh, 1800s era 
log books, and one was uh, 0800 Captain Smith inspected members of Truck Company D, condition of horses and men good. <laughs> and uh, another one that says uh, 1345 hours fuel truck in quarters, delivered one ton of coal. Um, so you can just kind of see the, the evolution of the fire service in those log books. And, um, you know, who, who else can we get? I mean, we talked about RC. Uh, who are some of those people that are out there, either locally or even nationally? I mean, you know, I mentioned um, you know Dave Creasy is one that I, we can't get a hold of now, and uh, you know people like him. And Frank Marseille was another one that uh, in Chesterfield that was just kind of a legend. And the story of him getting stuck in the Daryl's fire that I was at didn't know, never knew he was stuck in the HVAC room upstairs behind the ha- behind the. Uh, ventilation system and uh, hearing him tell that story a few times after that it's really chilling to hear it coming from the guy that was stuck and ran out of air and how he dealt with it and uh, you know another one that we can't we can't get that story so uh, who are some other people that are out there you think we might be able to get on this well I think you pick a topic or an area that you're looking at you know we all talked about our med flight days but if you go back and you get a Ben Gary or an Al Thompson or some of those guys that for instance Ben I think started on MedFlight and retired from MedFlight. Probably had the longest tenure of anybody. And so that's, you know, on the medical side. There are instructors out there that have been invaluable with the information and experiences that they've had and they've brought through generations and generations of people. Um, and then there are the, those folks on the fire service leadership side. Um, you know, we had talked originally about not necessarily wanting to do a podcast on how you read smoke or what's the next best forcible entry technique or incident management but to go back to the history side of it and say hey why did you do this or where did it where did this idea or or concept come from and kind of share that with folks who we all agree may have never heard it or have heard just bits and pieces of it so i think there's the legends are out there we just have to get them yeah and and i agree and the the picking a topic or picking the um some certain uh areas of people such as let's let's pick firefighters it's we don't need to pick the officers all the time let's pick the firefighters let's pick the the men and the women that were actually doing the work, the boots on the ground. And talking about women, there's some women that um, really started their career, I mean, started the women in the fire service here locally, both in Chesterfield, Hanover, and Henrico in the city. And um, so there's a, a, a huge history there that um, the, the women of today would love to hear about the women in the fire service back in the 70s and the 80s. Right. Um, so, yeah, there's a, the, I think that, once we get this message out and people start to hear about the, the podcast and actually listen to it and, and see what it has to offer, um, we're, people are going to be knocking on our door, hey, you should invite so-and-so to, yeah. to come speak with us. That, that would be awesome. And uh, at the end of this, we'll talk about how to get in touch with, with me or us and uh, share those ideas because if you want to hear from somebody, certainly like to hear that. Um, you know, we mentioned there's podcasts out there already about strategy and tactics, reading smoke, leadership, uh, fire scene command, um, and and really that's not what this is about. This is about the history and and learning about or talking about those legacies. And you know, why why in the heck does Chesterfield stop at every red light when they're going to a call? Mm-hmm. And I know the story behind that because I I sat with Chief Eanes while he was telling that story to. A bunch of uh, young company officers in the department after you know, long after he retired and chief center brought him in now they know why and there's a there's a very passionate compelling reason why that is 
he's another one I've got on the list to, to bring in and talk about the history of Chesterfield and some of the things that, that uh, shaped our career, my career, John's career, uh, over the time we were there. I think there's a huge audience out there that wants to hear what occurred in the past and how it occurred and why, and maybe it'll make them better at what they do because they've heard it from folks who lived it and experienced it. Um, you know, one topic that we were talking about in previous conversations is why most of us became instructors in certain areas, whether it was EMS or in, in the fire service. Um, and so, you know, we've said that we all became EMS instructors, so we never had to sit on the other side of that table with a cardiologist for an ACLS class again. We could actually do the, <laughs> do the instructing. But I was thinking over the weekend about um, the fact that in the, the early days of um, fire services training, there were firefighter one, two, and three rank, and then there were instructors one, two, and three. And most of us were very fortunate to uh, reach the level of an instructor or an instructor um, who could travel the state and offer programs and give the testing. And, and one of the conversations I had with some folks at the station recently is that, you know, the firefighter one program would end with a live burn and a live burn in those days meant usually a structure or a Fire house structure. that was abandoned and that they wanted to demolish. And out of that one house, you may get as many as five or ten actual live fires before it culminated in the entire place being fully involved. And you talk to some rookies now, and they may go three or five years without ever having um, a true structure fire or a really working fire. And we were able and fortunate enough to be instructors that could travel the state and do that as many times as we desired. Um, that that's nearly an unheard of thing now because of the all of the regulations and the asbestos abatement and the you know the safety stuff, which is a good thing that has to go in because we we might have skirted a safety regulation or two back in the day. I would expect maybe uh, maybe. You know, maybe the tires, the bales of hay, the pallets, the diesel fuel, which can't be done now. So <laughs> the used lacquer thinner, absolutely. But we were able to teach then and present. Things like um, reading the smoke in, in live time and, and being able to work through your breathing apparatus to make it the optimal amount of time out of it. And honestly, I know instructors, and you guys are, are those as well, that have done 30, 50, or 100 live burns in real structures. It wasn't at the drill school. It wasn't with propane. It, uh, it formed your approach to the next incident. And you mentioned instructors and uh, teaching in front of cardiologists. Giornato is another one that I think would be a great one to come in here because it's not. This isn't just about riding fire trucks. It's about the service. And um, you know, while we all started in the EMS business back in the '70s and '80s, and EMS and fire were very separate entities at the time. Today, you can't say one without saying the other. Um, so Giornato and I'll share my story about you know getting my ACLS instructor and had to teach the you had to teach a 15 or a 30 minute session on a topic and you had to deliver the material and answer questions and in the front of the front row is Joe Ornato and not only is Joe Ornato a cardiologist and a well-known cardiologist he wrote the ACLS book mm -hmm. and yes, he uh, did. you want to talk about a bit of nerves is being able to deliver that material to him and then wait for the critique to come out and uh Yep, yep, I was nervous, uh, but uh, as a true professional, he, he didn't have any issues with the material. Hopefully, I think I hit it right, but a couple of comments about the presentation, and he said, you're nervous, and I said, well, you wrote the book, Doc. I mean, it's kind of a little, little, <laughs> little shaky up here, but uh, 
But Joe Ronaldo is good, and he's got a lot of history, and, and he's been on the other side of that equation. Uh, he's been a patient uh, with a pretty significant event, and I'm not going to talk about that without him, but uh, certainly he can share those stories as well. Yeah. And, Robbie, I, I can see this type of uh, podcast and activity um, transferring over to the other side of the fence, and that's on the law enforcement because the law enforcement has an extensive history just like the fire service does. And I can see them taking and want to do the same type of idea um, with their folks yeah. and, uh, um, ar- again, archiving their history too. So I think you're on to something here. Yeah, I hope so. I, I'm hope, hoping folks uh, will give it a listen and uh, let, give us feedback as to what, what's good and what's not. I'll, let me ask this group this thing, and, um, you know, 40-ish years neighborhood of experience doing this business. What are, what are the things you think we can tell a rookie today that we did back in the late 70s, early 80s, and they would go, no way, that I, didn't happen. I don't happen. think you can tell them what we did in the late 70s and no, 80s. No, no, some of the stuff. So, yeah, <laughs> we, we can tell them we rode tailboard of fire trucks. You know, first, first fire engine I was assigned to it was an R-model Mac that did not have jump seats. So you, you either rode on the back or you walked. So it was, uh, it was right on the tailboard with a, a safety strap around you and a button on the top of the handle to ring to tell them you were ready to go or to tell them stop so hiding under the hose bed cover when it was cold trying mm-hmm. to put your air pack on going down the road yeah. three-quarter boots three-quarter boots yep yeah. yep um you had to wear work pants under your three-quarter boots and we know somebody who didn't do that we we do i i, I might even be related to someone who didn't do that yeah middle of the night got up and wore his uh, long coat and his three-quarter boots and no pants still still asleep we'll call it uh um, well, we only had bunker pants for the night that's calls, right. and you actually could bring your bunker pants and set them beside your bunk, mm-hmm. which was unhe- is her- unheard of today in that you can't bring a PPE inside the building. Yeah. And in Chesterfield, we went through a short period, it might have been before you, Robbie, where we actually first started having Nomex pants. We would do Nomex pants and L.A. boots, yeah. not even wear three-quarter boots. Yeah, low-quarter boots. Day boots, safety That's right. boots. Yep. That's right. Ankle high boots. Yeah. I never, I never experienced that, but I heard stories about it. They were, they were kind of testing the water, if you will, when, uh, when that was going on. So Nomex hoods. I mean, we were all around before Nomex hoods came into play, and then they gave them to us, and then it, it's a great tool. I mean, it's it's important and it's needed, but it also dampened your ability to tell how hot the fire actually was at the time. Maybe even got chastised for wearing a nomex hood by the by the old guys old guys who yep. have been there for years hey what are you doing rookie you don't need that hood you can't tell how hot it is started out mm. with just plain leather work gloves with cotton liners um, and how about radios there, i mean there was yeah. what radio one radio one radio the officer had it in the front yard yes and it would reach the unit if you could see the unit yes yep. it old was strictly simplex. line of sight so yep. right yep old so old the simplex. safety aspects just it's just gone out of control with respect to the things that we do now that make us safer and give us the opportunity. Yeah. There was no two in, two out. You'd have one person on a hose line in the search building. Search a whole building the by The other yourself. person doing the search. Yeah, with yeah. the sometimes with booster line. So because mm-hmm. it was easier to get Quicker. throughout the the structure. How about on the EMS side of things? I I remember the mother may I EMS. Yes. You, know, you had to call on that big orange box, the APCOR radio to medical control med nine and ask yep. them if you could start an iv yep. yeah no such thing as a protocol i mean we could do yep. no, almost nothing without asking permission first yep. and hopefully the doctor was close enough to actually get there to the radio um so did it delay patient care tremendously 
have advancements been made, unbelievable advancements on what you're able to do now? I mean, essentially the back of a medic unit is just an extension of the ER. In, in 75, we were only allowed to start butterflies because jokos were not safe in the field. They were too dangerous for us. They were worried about catheter shear and yes. crazy things yeah. like that. Or when you defibrillate it, the maximum was 460. A and and you had the paddles in your hand. Yes. An old <laughs> datascope yep. yeah, was yep. the package. And we learned all of that from basically uh, the TV show Emergency. I mean... Everyone, it was a it was a prerequisite that if you were going to a fire station or an EMS house or in the day it was a rescue squad, that you would study the scenes of emergency so that you could pick up on the ins and outs, glass bottle IVs. That's true. There were no preceptors. Johnny and Roy precepted us. That's right. Yeah. That's true. And if, if if you don't know who Johnny and Roy are, um, you're actually required to listen to three every episode of this podcast three times and then submit a written research paper on who Johnny and Roy actually are. We'll leave that at that. So what else, what, where else can we go with this? Is there, um, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm thinking about topics of dive, you mentioned dive team you know, teams and the, the hazmat team in, in Henrico that, that, uh, really was the groundbreaker for regional cooperation. I think in, in central Virginia, um, how about the technical rescue? that came along after the hazmat but uh, a name that pops in is steve wood who we're all familiar with and mm -hmm. close friends but the, you know steve and other folks uh in that time frame were very instrumental in bringing technical rescue and specialty um rescues and activities to the fire service not just to enrico but to the region yeah and that, that started i guess 94 time frame with the big event rescue challenge you, John, you were involved in that when we started, wasn't well, it? We were, and uh, and again, it was designed to be something where you got folks together to work different rescue scenarios. But we could actually even go back further in, in technical rescue and go back to the old basic and light duty rescue, the civil defense training. Folks like Monk Jarvis, who aren't here today. Right. Oh, that uh, was a name, yeah. Mm -hmm. But there weren't so, a lot of resources, so so much of this was learn as you go and develop things, and you didn't have the budget to support it. You didn't have the equipment, you know, um, there was no kernel rope. We had old braided rope, three strand gold line, um, three you know. quarter inch Manila. Yeah, yeah. Mm -hmm. I I have repelled with that rope, three quarter inch Manila one time. Didn't glad I haven't done it since. But <laughs> talk about old school and, and that rescue challenge. That was a, a big event that brought you know teams from all across Virginia, to Richmond area that back then and basically worked two significant rescue problems in a, in a given day. And it was three days long. Yes, sir. And uh, six teams, each team worked six different rescues over three days. And um, it wasn't a competition. We, we had rescue competitions and EMT competitions with VAVRS back in the day two, which uh, Henry, I pulled up a picture of you and I and it's on the website that uh, we're leaning over a patient with the team and when we when we were competing there's a couple stories behind that too but mm -hmm. um, you know it, it really was more of an opportunity to share ideas and I think you know while the teams got experience doing the events during the day it was that uh, the classroom in the parking lot and around the hotel, hey, how did you deal with this? And you know, the crews that hadn't done it yet, well, well, I think we're going to try this way because we think it might work better. And it was almost like a, a laboratory for technical rescue that people got to try stuff in a relatively safe environment because we knew that it was a rescue Randy sitting at the bottom of that grain silo and not 
a real life person. So you could take your time, you could try something. If it failed, regroup, try it again. And uh, there was kind of no harm in that. So, and that's been going on for 25 years consistently until 2020 when uh, COVID kind of prevented that incident or that uh, rescue challenge from happening. It's gone all over the state and expanded beyond just Virginia fire department teams. And there's some military teams that have participated over the years. And absolutely, we're going to get Steve to sit down and talk a little bit more about that history and how it came about and how it evolved over the years. All right, so been at it uh, about a half hour, maybe a little bit more. Um, you know what 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 else comes to mind? What what's one? And the other per- thing I want to kind of do with this is give have, have a takeaway to the to the new fire and emergency medical services person who may be coming on the job tomorrow or may have been here four or five years. And and one of the things that I I always tried to tell the when 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 the senior team in Chesterfield would go talk to the recruits as they were getting ready to come out of school I'd say take take, make your own logbook write the stuff down every day write down an incident that occurred or something that happened in a station or some training you went to because 20 years or 30 years in your career is going to go by in a flash and you're going to forget a lot of that stuff and I never did it unfortunately but that's one piece of advice I I try to give to to the new folks coming on, write it down. Put just take a journal, take a notebook, and write down what happened today, um, so that when you do this podcast, rookie, and you've got something to work from other than just trying to remember, hey, who was that guy that wrote the basic and light duty technical rescue book? Its name is Monk. What was it? Jarvis. Monk Jarvis. Yeah. So yeah, the memory fades. There's no doubt. Uh, but oh, you absolutely. mentioned training, and I think training is so important. Um, in that I try to tell any rookie or anybody that's coming up through the service in any aspect of public safety that the really important thing is to grab every nugget of training you possibly can. Um, don't be satisfied with the fact you completed drill school. Don't be satisfied with the fact that you know, you've know you achieved driver pump operator or an aerial certification. Go grab every piece of it. Keep yourself marketable. You keep yourself safe. Um, accept every transfer that comes down the line. You know some of the younger crowd believes that they just want to ride that apparatus. They just want to go to job town. But I think the important aspect, and you guys are the, the, the truth that have lived this is that you, you're only going to achieve as much as you put into it. And so accept every assignment, accept every transfer that you can get, uh, accept every piece of, of training and, and seek it out. I mean, go other places. Uh, Departments have budgetary constraints. They have challenges with staffing. It's difficult sometimes within your own department to get everything that's out there and available. But spend time talking to the people that came before you. Um, Learn everything that you can. Grab every certification. Keep yourself safe. Keep yourself marketable. And then the other thing that I think is monumentally important is that you give it back, that you share it. So it's great to send somebody to a conference but the deal is if you go to the conference, you bring something back that the whole shift or the whole department can benefit from. And, uh, and I just think that's really an important aspect of the business. The, the old attitude of a lifelong learner, if you will. Good point. Right. And those transfers aren't just to firehouse to firehouse. It's also to ad- administrative positions. Uh, I think each of us have been in those positions. And you know, at the time you're assigned to it or initially there, you think, why am I here? That's not what I what I signed up for when I signed up to be in the fire service, but there's so much to gain from those administrative positions. I've, I've gone kicking and screaming to several assignments. Um, med flight, 
they asked me if I wanted to go to the helicopter. I told them no. I had a good engine company. I was learning a lot. I wanted to stay there. I was happy where I was at. They called me the next day and said, we think you'll do a wonderful job. Congratulations. <laughs> Congratulations. Be there so, Monday. Yeah. Uh, I, I may have actually written a letter once not to get sent to a day work assignment. <laughs> but in the end, so, it, it's, it, it's invaluable. I learned from all of the places I went, no doubt right. in the world. Yeah. In the relationships. I mean, what but, we do is people-driven. I mean, we're there to serve people, although we, we're there to serve the, the, the property too, but ultimately we're there to serve the, 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 the people. And uh, it, it's done by people. And uh, so those relationships that we point. build uh, is tremendous. And uh, you'll never know who you're working with today and where they're going to be later in their career and where you're going to be later in your career. And, uh, and Robbie, I'll share this story with you. So it was early on in the, in the fire service, and we were in Henrico going from paper um, medical records. Remember the two-page? Sure, PPCR. Uh, PPCR, press hard. It was four copies then. And um, so going from that and converting it into a database system. And on the fire side, we were taking the, the same type of paper form and convert, converting that into a database uh, system, also a computerized system. So they asked me to work on the EMS side, another gentleman from fire to work on the, the fire department side, uh, fire reports. And on the police, they were looking to do the same. So they asked a sergeant to work on uh, that side of their, their reports and asked a gentleman that was actually uh, from the county IT programming and write the program. Well, as we moved on in the career, and I'll just mention these names, the gentleman that was actually the programmer back in the 80s was Tom Odom. Well, Tom Odom retired as the... The, the department head of the county IT. And, and we remained friends throughout, the, uh, throughout his tenure in the, uh, in the county and then still are friends. And the ironic part is the gentleman on the police side was Doug Middleton. And Doug had moved his way all the way up to not only the police chief, but then also went over to the deputy county manager, deputy manager uh, in the public safety before he retired from the county. So it's those relationships that started when we were all firefighters or patrol officers or young in our career that our career continued and so did our relationships. So how, how, how much better could you work as, as an assistant chief, I'm sure, uh, at that time with the police chief that you knew? If you, there, were, there were partnerships or issues, could you call up maybe a, the deputy chief Middleton you go, hey, can we do this just because of that old well, relationship from working on it, fire reports? It was tremendous. I mean, it helped not only me and, and situations that I was in, but it helped the department. It helped both departments, um, from fire to police and fire to IT and, and, and a number of other uh, examples that are out there. John, what would you say as far as what would you give that new rookie advice I think the biggest thing that we, we deal with today is we get a lot of one-day wonders coming in as rookies. Um, I, I, I don't want to get into the whole generational debate, but when I came in as a rookie, you knew you were a rookie. Okay. Uh, the senior guys on the shift had earned a certain status, earned certain rights. True. And you didn't go in there and try to tell them how to do things. You went in there and you learned from them. Uh, now, I, I don't know that we've got that feeling. They come out uh, – feeling, well, I've completed recruit school, I, I, I know what I'm doing, and that's not necessarily true. Recruit school is, is a good foundation, but it's just that. It's only a foundation. Um, and sometimes we set people up. Uh, we teach them things that, that not necessarily prove out in their career. We, we tell people, 
you're going to save lives. Well, the chance to save lives comes along sometimes, but the vast majority of times we don't. And sometimes we do our best and we still don't save lives. But what we do every day is we take that worst moment in someone's life and make it better or tolerable. Something that's an inconvenience to us, but it is their worst Worst day. moment, exactly right. Yeah, um, John brings up a really good point. We don't want to sound like the old guys, you know, that are telling the stories, but, you know, the aspect of, of um, where we came from and where we're headed and that this is a, it's a marathon, it's not a sprint. And this is a career, and so don't be that one-day wonder. Um, but to listen, uh, you learn so much more by listening versus speaking, and you try to get that point across to folks. You know, occasionally you hear folks tell you that the way you did it 20 years ago or 30 years ago, just uh, you know, statistically or through the data, wasn't the correct way. You know, uh, I know you guys used a fog nozzle, but yeah, we don't use those anymore kind of approach and uh, I think that there's a lot of options to it and just be objective and don't get locked into a certain way and listen to listen to everybody I remember a rookie sitting at the, the station table right after reading a log book one day and talking to uh, to one of the one of the folks there and uh, he said to the guy you've been a firefighter for 20 years you must be stupid <laughs> I know exactly the yep and, you know, um, here he was just totally disregarding right. the fact that, that this guy knew the ins and outs, knew how to keep people safe, kept himself safe. Uh, so, again, that's not saying that experience is always the best teacher, but experience certainly is sometimes our, our most uh, prescient teacher. It teaches us the, the hardest lessons. Well, they can all hear the alarm and run to the rig, but it can't leave till the officer or the driver's there. So... They, they learn that after a while that you're going to get there and you need to get there safely and you need to return safely. And and, and give me a good 20-year firefighter and it makes my job as All an officer day. easy. You know, I, I always looked at recruit school and I was in recruit school 14. Which one were you in? I was in 9. 9 to 14. And, you know, you went through recruit school four, 9. I went through 14. We, your son has went through 56. 56. Yeah. A couple sure of years glad, difference. Sure, between I'm glad those. they did three a year between the two. But um, I, I always looked at recruit school as that was the price of admission to the next step. Exactly. You know, everybody that was on that rig, whether it's an ambulance, a ladder truck, or an engine, went through a recruit school too. And the difference between me and the guy riding the other, or gal riding the jump seat, is I finished my ticket to admission yesterday and that other person might have done it 20 years ago so i've got 20 years of catch-up to do to get to kind of the level they are of experience and wisdom if you will and that gets back to the to the buffett quote of um you know, older and wiser voices can help you find the right path if you're only willing to listen so i think that's that's very powerful right and and that brings up there is so much value in that statement there that our retirees have to offer and I'm um, looking forward to not only seeing some of them come through here, but also listening to them um, as they come through here. Henry brings up a great point that we don't necessarily need to chase every chief officer, but we need to chase the people who have that experience and that knowledge and that wisdom. Wisdom is probably the key term. Yep. And just to listen to what they have to say. And we probably don't want to relive most of it, um, but we can take something from it that is really important. Yep. Anything else? 
No, just thank you for uh, the carrying out your idea and uh, getting the three of us, four of us together, counting you. Um, looking forward to uh, hearing many more of these, and I'm here to help out in any way that I can. Awesome. John, you got anything? No, sir. Thank you for having us. Wait. No, I'm good, Robbie. Thanks. It's great to see you guys. Yep, and uh, always great to connect with the, with you guys as well and uh, tell some old stories um, as we go through this. And uh, I want to thank listeners who tune into this and download this podcast and uh, you know give us feedback, give me feedback as to what you want to hear. Is it is it uh, appropriate? Are you using it? Um, if you got any ideas of things you want to hear from the history of the fire and EMS services uh, around, uh, certainly give me that feedback. And you can reach out to me through email uh we've got an email address of firehouse logbook at gmail.com that's just a firehouse logbook all one word uh, i'm on twitter at fd logbook is there and um the podcast actually has its own website uh it's www.firehouselogbook.captivate.fm and that's the podcast hosting site we're using so uh, you can actually listen straight from the Captivate's website or download it through um, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Stitcher, uh, Spotify, just about every other podcast platform that's out there. So uh, give it a listen. Give us a thumbs up. Give us comments uh, and hit that subscribe button. It really does help help us out and let us know where uh, we're going in the right direction. So please do that. Uh, with that, Wheat, Henry, John, thank you guys so much for being here. And uh, let's go grab some dinner. Sounds, Sounds good. great. Thanks.